0: Welcome back to P.S. Editors Podcast. I'm Greg Bruno. Ever since the ancient Greek poet Theocritus romanticized rural life, people have been thinking deeply about how best to balance the built environment with the natural. But today, attention to this question is more important than ever given anthropogenic threats like air pollution and climate change. Much evidence supports the conclusion that greener cities are healthier cities for people and for the planet. The challenge now is how to incorporate green solutions into city planning strategies. My guest today is Pascal Mittermeier, Global Managing Director for Cities at the Nature Conservancy. Pascal has spent years thinking about environmental and social sustainability in some of the world's biggest markets. And as he's learned, some of the most complicated urban problems can often be solved with the most natural of solutions. Hi, Pascal. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks so much for joining us today on PS Editor's podcast.
1: It's a pleasure. Excited to be here.
0: Well, we're excited to have you and very interested to hear some of your ideas about nature-based solutions. So let's get right to it. By 2050, more people will live in urban areas than in rural regions, creating what some people believe will be a new range of urban planning challenges. Now, you've written uh, for PS and many others that, quote, nature is the world's original infrastructure and nature-based solutions hold many of the answers. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, um, the basic challenge is that uh, over the last hundred years, we've essentially built our urban areas uh, around uh, asphalt, concrete, and in many cases, designed primarily for cars. And while that worked um, in this first phase, in many cities across the world, we're now hitting limits to what this type of engineered urban solution can offer. So cities are, in many cases, unbearably hot, hot to the point where people are dying from urban heat and You can imagine cities drenched in asphalt and concrete are dramatically hotter than places that, for example, have tree coverage or nature. Um, The air is uh, deadly in many cities. Seven million people die every year uh, in cities related to polluted air, uh, with tens million more getting sick uh, from uh, a whole range of diseases, from asthma to um, uh, cardiovascular disease. Um, And uh, another example is water. Imagine when water falls onto cities designed uh, in asphalt and concrete, that water flows at very high speed, causing flooding, and it picks up all the debris, all the pollutants, and it flows straight into our sewer systems and then into the uh, rivers and oceans around cities. So um, the way we've designed our cities, concrete, asphalt, cars, not much nature, is causing some major issues that simply don't make this design sustainable anymore.
0: Right. And so, so moving into some of the uh the kind of the broader nature-based solutions that you've that you've talked about in your writings uh and, and briefly touched on right now, I mean one of the biggest challenges is a lack of tree cover. And trees might kind of seem like a simple solution for those of us who live near rural areas and, and I, I understand that you're in Boston and getting to nature for you is is uh, relatively simple. So talk a little bit, if you could, about some of the localized benefits that trees bring to cities uh, and and why they might be seen uh, to to many, including yourself, as a solution to some of the the broader urban planning challenges that cities face.
1: Right. So the first thing I'll say is that in most cities across the world, there's been a dramatic decline in tree cover. So trees uh, were planted uh, in the last centuries uh, primarily to create shade. Think of the amazing tree-covered boulevards in Berlin or London or Paris. Um, and so most uh, cities in the world uh, don't have enough trees to provide shade. And uh, certainly uh, most cities don't have enough trees to help uh, with the problem of fine particle air pollution. And the amazing thing is that trees, but nature in general, um, is a wonderful way to help manage some of these um, uh, extremely stressful situations. So. Trees create shade, as, uh, as you can imagine, to the point where you can um, have um, situations that are the difference between life and death. So for example, in Paris, about 15 years ago, there was a, 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 an unbearable heat wave.
0: In a period of six weeks from late July to the end of August, over 15,000 people were killed in France by heat exhaustion, dehydration and heat stroke.
1: And guess where most of them lived. They lived in areas where there wasn't uh, much vegetation, where there wasn't good tree coverage. And so literally when you look at a city and you, you look top down at where there, where there are trees and where there's vegetation, you can start to draw conclusions on who's Who's going to make it in um, in uh, extreme heat conditions, or who um, who's going to be healthier um, and who's going to suffer more? So you really, um, you know, trees really do make a difference. Um, they're a, a very cost-effective way also to help um, uh, alleviate the stress of heat in cities. And um, so you, we have this environmental challenge, and you also have a challenge around social justice and equity and underserved communities. Mm, so. Mm. That's, um, that's an example of trees uh, helping to manage heat. Let me give you another example. So the trees have a wonderful capacity to help filter out and find particle pollution. So somewhere in the range of 20 to 50 percent in a neighborhood context. So let me just explain that. This is not about planting millions of trees all over a city. This is about understanding where in a city it would make the most sense to plant the right combination of trees to help filter out fine particle pollutions with tremendous benefit for the people that live um, in those in those local neighborhoods. Mm, so think yeah. of...
0: Yeah, I mean, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but I was thinking as you're talking, I was thinking about big, heavily polluted cities like a Cairo or a Delhi. Uh, and if you, if you visit in certain times of, of year, it's instinctive. It's quite clear that trees alone aren't going to solve this problem. So this is this is much more of a uh, one piece and a much broader city planning toolkit I assume
1: yeah that's a really important um, point you just made so trees are not the panacea they're not going to solve uh, all the issues but they can be a really useful strategy combined with you know cleaner cars more efficient energy um, uh, energy use buildings uh, burning less coal and so on but what I will say is um, it's all about which kind of trees and which combination of trees. So um, uh, often uh, the trees will be built uh, will will be designed to create a, an in, an initial barrier. So think of uh, tall everg- evergreen trees. Then, right behind it, you might have lollipop shaped trees with particularly hairy leaves that do a great job at then filtering out the fine particle pollutions that have made it through that first barrier. And then you might have another layer of bushes or smaller trees that then do some additional filtering. And we've done some really interesting studies um, in cities where this is a problem where there, for example, is a school and there's are some uh, very uh, highly trafficked, trafficked roads nearby. And the difference is literally a 50 or 60 percent reduction in fine particle pollution inside the perimeter of the school. So, you know, what parent or what teacher wouldn't want that uh, um, to be the place where their kids learn. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you've done some work, uh, the Nature Conservancy has done some work in Louisville, Kentucky, I believe, in what is referred to as the Coronary Valley due to its notoriously high uh, air quality, uh, poor air quality, uh, I should say. Talk a little bit about that project and the idea behind, the motivations behind it, uh, how city officials got involved or interested in that Subject in that topic and whether or not there's any results to point yet
1: Yeah, Yeah, this is one of the most exciting Science-based projects that we're doing so as you mentioned Louisville suffers from some of the worst uh, air in the US for a a whole number of reasons and so the Nature Conservancy uh, with about 50 other partner organizations Um, is working on a project called the Green Heart Study. And essentially, um, we're working to green up a neighborhood, so planting between eight and 10,000 trees. Um, And then the University of Louisville Medical School, which has one of the foremost environmental pollution um, uh, study centers uh, in the world, is going to measure the health of the people living in that neighborhood and then comparing it to a non-greened up neighborhood. So essentially, this is a, the biggest ever clinical trial where nature is the pharmaceutical. We're in the first year of roughly five or six years um, of this, and so we should be having some uh, interim results over the, over the next years. But um, we really hope to demonstrate that trees are a really effective strategy in improving people's health uh, on a neighborhood basis.
0: And and I would assume that if if the the data suggests that there are significant health benefits, that programs like this might expand and we might see them in other places, either in the United States or around the world. Is that a fair fair guess?
1: Yeah, so that's the goal. And I should mention here that um, what's particularly exciting about working in cities is that um, unlike on a national or federal level, Mayors are very proactive collaborators. So, there are some really effective mayoral networks, um, both in the US but also all over the world, where um, different cities pilot different ideas and then openly share the methodologies and the outcomes with other cities. Um, and so, we're hoping that Louisville will be one of these beacon projects for um, using nature to help clean up air. You know, many other cities will already looking at what's happening there and uh, once they feel confidence in the methodology and the cost-effectiveness and so on will no doubt implement similar solutions
0: Mm. I mean cities like Louisville that could benefit clearly from uh, this type of activity have a clear incentive to kind of go green and and invest in their nature-based infrastructure you know but there are obviously challenges right I mean the US has a massive funding shortfall for what's, what's uh, referred to as gray infrastructure, like bridges and roads and tunnels, estimates in the trillions to shore up uh, the, the infrastructure in the United States that people need to get to and from work. How do we find the money or convince those with the money to invest in green, quote-unquote green infrastructure, uh, if it's difficult to fund kind of traditional projects? <sighs>
1: yeah that's um that's that's you know the the most important question so our strategy is in some ways so some cities have to take action so there might be as in the case of louisville you know literally poisonous air there might be in the case of many other cities an epa consent decree so the environmental protection agency is suing the city and saying you have to clean up for example your water and so our strategy is um often is to think about, so what other funding sources exist that aren't necessarily connected to planting more nature that we could somehow bridge into in order to get that funding? And so the one of the most obvious ones for us is health. And so by demonstrating that trees and vegetation and nature can improve health and maybe reduce the Health burden uh, to people in those neighborhoods. Why not take some of that money and invest it in green infrastructure um, to make to work on a prevention basis and and um, you know use each dollar more effectively? Could I give you another example of of, um, of a of a real cost benefit um, uh, outcome regarding uh, green infrastructure, and sure. that's in Philadelphia. So, Philadelphia um, uh, is a city under EPA consent decree, and when about 10 years ago, the water department first started imagining what it would take to deal with the flooding and the polluted water flowing into the various rivers, the first uh, thing they they uh, thought of was, well, we, we're going to have to build a $10 billion water treatment facility with 30 miles of underground Pipes, you know, some of these pipes are 30 feet in diameter with pumping stations and, and cisterns and things like this. And so this was considered sort of the hundred year ball and chain on Philadelphia. And it's the water department that came up with the idea of, of using um, swales and uh, rain gardens. So these are, you know, these are essentially. Uh, localized um, green infrastructure solutions to stop the water at its source from even going into the um, sewer system. And also what finally does go into the sewer system is already filtered and much cleaner. And this has proven a much more cost-effective way. And Philadelphia now wants to, um, so they've greened up 1,000 inner-city acres already in Philadelphia. The plan is in the next 20 years to green up 9,000 more acres and make Philadelphia the first city in the world that entirely manages its um, its uh, polluted water runoff hmm. using green infrastructure. Hmm. And you can imagine what this does to neighborhoods that um, are now green and have you know all kinds of incredible features that don't just manage rainwater, but also act as you know, an inspirational way to rethink what a neighborhood could look like. Yeah. And so we're starting to observe some really exciting um, co-benefits from using green to help solve, say, an environmental challenge.
0: Mm. I mean, moving this these ideas forward obviously takes buy-in at the very top of a city or a municipality planning department. But I've been fascinated to read some studies that suggest that in neighborhoods that participate in tree plantings or uh, design or development uh, of these solutions, the survival rate of that resource is actually enhanced. So in other words, the more successful programs out there are often those that are coordinated between city governments, developers, NGOs, and communities and individuals. How feasible is that sort of build-up or that scale-up model, that if it really takes an individual person with a shovel and a city official to come together, uh, can we build the type of infrastructure that we need to see the kind of change that cities need to be clean? Yeah, that's
1: the only way to do it. And I I, I guess I can give you two thoughts on that. So the first one is, you know, when you walk uh, on a hot day like today through my hometown Boston you can see exactly what you've just described. You can see local residents watering trees in front of their homes um, that are on the sidewalk. And so you do have to have this local connection to appreciating and caring and stewarding um, something that you know needs that kind of support. And so uh, communities that um, have those kind of leaders and where there's that kind of involvement do better in terms of how their trees fare. So you can't do this to someone, you have to do this with someone. And if I could just um, go back to Philadelphia, where, you know, we've seen neighborhoods that um, uh, designed uh, green infrastructure to manage stormwater, all kinds of interesting things are happening. So we've observed that more children play outside, more parents are there interacting with each other as they're looking after their kids, more people walk, more people cycle, more people are interested in growing their own food. In some cases, we've even seen that there's a a bigger interest in energy efficiency and solar panels, for example. So what you've just touched on you know nature can be this catalyst this inspiration for what it means to live in a thriving sustainable community and and so nature can be a really important um component of that in in getting people just to view what it means to live in a green in in a sustainable neighborhood in a you know in the way that i think is going to make cities great
0: I want to just kind of close by asking, in some ways, why has it taken so long to kind of get to this point? I mean, you you touched on old cities and, and old cities having trees. The idea that that design concept didn't get carried over to the modern city is largely due to the 19th century urban planning movement that built suburbs and pushed cities to nature as opposed to bringing nature to cities. But if Planting trees is really so basic, and Boy Scouts have been doing it for decades. Why haven't urban planners?
1: Well, I think, you know, we were caught in the last century in an era of gray engineering solutions. You know, we thought we could design our way out of all the challenges. Think of the L.A. River, you know, this giant um, concrete half pipe that essentially just has a trickle of water in it for most of the year. And then a a couple times a year is completely flooded with water rushing at high speed, you know, towards the ocean. And we're realizing that um, nature just offers a more cost effective and a, a more multiple benefit approach. But it's really important, not just any nature anywhere. And so I think this is where the science of organizations such as ours come in. So it's which trees in which context to solve which problem at what return on investment. And so it is it's complicated. And and, um, you know, all the trees we planted uh, 100 years ago on these magnificent boulevards to create shade when there were horse drawn carriages now essentially act often as um, uh, you know, a very negative almost ceiling and canopy that uh, prevents car pollution from escaping. So it's not just any trees anywhere. It's the right trees in the right context. Mm. And and that's not always easy to do.
0: Yeah, I mentioned cities like Delhi and Cairo. Uh, you know, I've spent some time in Delhi. And I have to say, I often feel bad for trees when I visit cities uh, that are so polluted. <clears throat> yeah,
1: I have to say, you know, the other challenge is that... Um, If if we look at where can you plant trees in Manhattan or in Louisville or in Delhi, in many cases, it's it's there's not enough public land available. So you need to, you know, almost walk from door to door in neighborhoods and convince people, enthuse people for planting a tree in that neighborhood and describe how it's going to benefit the city as a whole or the neighborhood as a whole how it's going to potentially add value to their home and their real estate but you know these are very um these are street by street uh solutions you you just can't go and do things like this to people um, and then expect you know 10 years later for for all of everything that we thought of to still be thriving and and still be successful Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I think that's probably a good place to leave it. Um, uh, I am inspired to go water the tree outside of my front door tonight. Please do. (laughs) Thank you for that inspiration.
1: Thank you so much.
0: That was Pascal Mittermeier, Global Managing Director for Cities at The Nature Conservancy. And that's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review our podcast and subscribe on SoundCloud, Stitcher and iTunes. Until next time, I'm Greg Bruno.